Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. Turn to Romans. We're going to start in chapter 1. The Apostle Paul wrote this book and he wrote it to a cluster of house churches in Rome. Paul, up to this point, had never visited Rome and he wrote this letter as an introduction of sorts with three primary goals. You kind of wonder, what's the big picture, Romans? Why did he write it? Here's the three primary goals. Number one, Paul introduces this gospel, his gospel at length to show how he and the people in Rome share the same gospel. So that's one of the first reasons he wrote it, to hone in on the gospel. The second reason he wrote the book of Romans is there seems to be some type of tension within the church between Jews and Gentile believers. And and Paul's going to go right at this. He's going to show that in the gospel, Jews and Gentiles are one in Christ and can live together. And the third reason he wrote this letter is that it serves kind of as a missionary support letter as he's going to ask for their assistance in spreading the gospel. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the first seven um, verses, which basically is one long sentence. We're only going to look at one sentence today in the, in the original. And I want to keep us organized even with this sentence as we're going to be discussing the call of God, the gospel of God, and the mission of God. The call of God, the gospel of God, and the mission of God. So let's start with the call of God, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now this is astonishing that Paul would call himself a bondservant, a servant or a slave of God a slave of Jesus Christ. At one time, he was totally opposed to Jesus and his followers, but now he's like, I'm all in. I mean, think about the most atheistic people that you know that hate Christians and Christianity becoming believers. You can think about popular people such as Bill Maher or Richard Dawkins who have attacked the Christian faith all of a sudden coming out on national TV saying, I'm a slave of Christ. He is my Lord and my full allegiance is to Jesus. That's what's happening here with Paul. And you may wonder, well, well, how did that happen? How How did this man attacking the faith now proclaim the faith? Back to verse one. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So it seems that this radical change in Paul's life came through the call of God. Previously, Paul is threatening to kill Christians. On one occasion, he's headed to Damascus to arrest Christians. Jesus appears to him from heaven. He confronts Paul, the persecutor. He confronts Paul, the blasphemer. He confronts Paul, the opponent of God. And through this vision, Paul becomes blind and eventually becomes clear that Jesus is calling him to salvation 
and to service, to salvation and to service. And then soon after this infancy stages of fulfilling his role as an apostle, he preached Jesus. And those who once heard that Paul persecuted Christians is now proclaiming Christ. And it's a radical call that can only be explained through an inner working by God to call Paul to himself. Now, Paul is representative of the call of God to all believers. And before we look at the specifics of God's call to you, I want you to get you thinking about another calling in your life. I want you to think about your vocational calling. I know most of you are retired, but think about what you were doing previous to retirement. Maybe you were a teacher. Maybe you were a homemaker. Maybe you were a scientist. Maybe you were a businessman. It's almost like you were doing something and you, you, you said, I was made for this. We bought a house a few months ago. And the guy that we bought it from, his job, I guess, for his career was he would fit people for prosthetics. And I think he even made some. And he must have been passionate about this because he had a whole room full of where he would keep these things. In fact, he left a big, heavy barber chair behind where he would have people sit and fit them for the prosthetics. And my 15-year-old son thinks it's really cool, so he's kept it in his own room. And so we still get packages in the mail, mailed to this guy of prosthetics. We, I opened this one closet and it was just full of legs. I'm just kidding. There was no legs. But <laughs> this guy was really into it. This is his calling in life. Like, he's like, I was made for this. And, and all of us have certain things we feel like, okay, I was made for this. But for the believer, you add on top of that, this greater call from God to salvation and service, and it makes you say, or should say, I was saved for this. I was saved for this. And the issue is saved for what? We're going to get there. Look at verse 6. Look at the calling language uh, like applied to the believers as a whole. Look at verse 6. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, verse 7, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, there it is again, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So God called the Christians in Rome to salvation. You see it there in verse 6, called of Jesus Christ. God also called them to service. You see it there in verse 7, called to be saints who were set apart for the gospel of God. Now, this call came to them, and they heard the gospel, and they were able to respond in faith. That's what we mean by being called, is that you were enabled to respond to the gospel that you're hearing. It's this calling that you hear the gospel and an inner stirring by the Holy Spirit where you respond in faith. And it says now they are classified as the beloved of God. You see that in verse 7? To all who are beloved of God. So you have God's heart, love, 
affection set on you. God did not set his affection on you because you were a lovely, lovable person. He did not look down and say, that's a good person. I'm going to pick them and love them. No, you were in rebellion as an enemy against God. And by his call, you heard the gospel. He stirred you to respond by faith. Not because you were full of love, it's because he is love. And he set his affection on you. I just remember when this happened to me when I was 19, I had no desire to follow God. I was in rebellion against him. I was a mean, angry man, treating people poorly, full of stealing and lying and sexual morality. And God intervened, called me. I heard the gospel, stirred up inside to respond by faith. And it's now me, you, Paul, the Roman church have been called to salvation and to service. Most of you are at a stage of your life where you're, you're trying to figure out what to do this last third of your life. Your career is over and you're wondering, okay, what do I do now? What is God's will for my life now? What am I supposed to do? And so you're wrestling with these ideas. You're trying to think through, okay, what am I going to do with my time? What am I going to do with my money? What am I going to do with my energy and my gifting? What, God, what do you want me to do right now? And look, I don't have the answer of what you're to do specifically, but I do know the answer on what you're to do broadly, and that is you have been called by God to salvation and to service, and by his grace, you are an ambassador that is to tell other people about Jesus. This past week, there was a study that was uh, unearthed or revealed, uh, I think the Pew Center did this, that showed that by 2070, like maybe a third of Americans would identify as Christians. By 2050, it may be half. So it's probably not a big news flash to you that American, America is declining in those who profess Christ. That's not, that's not news flash to you, okay? But rather than sit back, complain, lament, it is your time to proclaim Jesus. Rather than get on social media and complain how we're just going down the tubes of less and less Christians, you have neighbors who do not know Jesus. And you've been called to salvation and to service. And part of that service is you telling other people that don't know Christ about Christ. Because a big news flash for you, most people in the village don't know Jesus. You may say, no, we're all Christians, man. We're, we're in Arkansas. No, no. God has put you here as his ambassador to tell them about Christ. And guess what? People who are older still come to faith. It happens. You've been called to salvation and to service. Well, that's the call of God. Well, what are we proclaiming? What's the gospel of God? Bring to the second part, the gospel of God. All right, look, look again, verse one. Paul, a bondservant of Christ, Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Don't you wonder, what is the gospel? If someone just cornered you and said, quick, tell me the gospel. What's the gospel? All right, I'm gonna give you a quick little thing you can memorize. It's really easy. Let me put it up for you. The gospel 
is the good news of what God has done in Christ to rescue lost humanity from their sins and adopt them as children of God. There it is, so easy, so simple. The gospel is the good news of what God has done in Christ to rescue lost humanity from their sins and adopt them as children of God. That is the gospel that we, along with Paul, have been set apart for. That means the gospel is to be our all-consuming passion and focus. We are to be gospel men and gospel women proclaiming Jesus Christ. This is the gospel we proclaim, all right? So let's see, is this gospel something brand new that just showed up in the New Testament? And the answer is no. Look at verse 2. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So Paul's not showing up on the scene with some brand new message. It comes through the prophets in the Old Testament. And the Jewish believers in Rome need to know that Paul, an apostle to the Gentiles, wasn't creating this gospel with no connection to the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is shouting and and speaking forward to this gospel that's coming in the Christ, in the Messiah. And Paul is indicating that the Old Testament prophets have his back. Moses has his back. Jeremiah has his back. Isaiah has his back. Zechariah has his back. Malachi has his back. And on and on and on because the gospel is rooted in the past and Paul is proclaiming it in the present. But notice also that this gospel is centered on Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 3. It says, concerning his son. So this is the heart of the gospel. It's all about Jesus. The son. The gospel is centered on God's son who existed with the father and is equal with the father in all eternity before the world began. Jesus was not, think about this way. The son was not created. The son has existed for eternity with the father. And yet there was a moment in history where the son entered the earth and flesh at the incarnation. And it says specifically in verse three, once again, concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. So on this earth, Jesus was thoroughly Jewish and a descendant of David. I mean, this is just basic Christianity 101. We're just taking it back to the basics. It was expected from the scriptures in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come in the line of David. And Jesus now has shown up on the scene and he is the legit Messiah because in his earthly existence, he came from David's line. So far, so good. So we have The eternalness of the son shows up on the scene in the incarnation. He is in the line of David, thoroughly Jewish. Now, the next phrase is going to describe Jesus in his resurrection existence. This is some good deep stuff. Verse 4, who, Jesus, was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Don't think that this verse says that Jesus became the son of God at his resurrection. Obviously, he was always the son of God. That's not what this verse means. 
It's getting at the contrast. You ready for this? It's getting at the contrast between Jesus in his earthly existence as the incarnate son of God and his heavenly existence as the incarnate son of God. So it's contrasting his earthly and heavenly existence. So in his earthly existence, he is a descendant of David. He is in weakness. He came in humility. But now as his heavenly existence raised by the spirit, he is our reigning Lord. Now, he is our resurrected Lord and power. Now, the verse that may be more familiar to you is Philippians. You know, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, where it speaks of Jesus taking on the form and humbling himself unto death. But as his resurrection, God has exalted him so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to glory to God. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I saw some images this week, you know, uh, of the queen kneeling before Jesus, you know, casting her crown at Jesus' feet. And I, and I must say, I must say willingly as a believer, right? Uh, but all will kneel before, right? And they, and they will all confess that Jesus Christ, willingly or unwillingly, is, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But until then, we want to be men and women who are full of this gospel. We're consumed with Jesus. He's our Lord. He's resurrected and reigning. And his reign is relevant and deserves our full heart's attachment to him. You are to be a gospel woman. You are to be a gospel man, consumed with the gospel, caught up with Jesus, and wanting to tell others about Jesus. This past week, I had this great uh, thought that I was reading, and I thought, man, that is really good to, to think about this. This guy named Jonathan Dotson had some uh, good observations on the way we think about God. Too many of us want God plus. We want God plus money, or we want God plus a house. We want God plus a spouse, we want God plus good health. We want God plus. And the idea is, no, we should want God alone. All those other things are good, but we should want God alone. But have you ever thought about this? Some of us want God minus. We want God minus suffering, God minus pain, God minus difficult people, right? That'd be all great. But the idea is, no, no, we want God alone. So make the connection. If we are gospel men and women, and we want God alone, do you get this? We want the gospel alone. We want Jesus alone. This means if he is sufficient, it's never the gospel plus the right elected people. Now, we want the right elected people to be in place, for sure. We want to work toward that, strive toward that. But the world is not over when the right elected people don't get into place. And if the world is over, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. So you with me? It's God alone. Now, get this. It's not the gospel minus the pandemic. The pandemic, bummer, yeah, we want that gone. Yeah, we, don't, we don't want to deal with that. But... Pandemic or no pandemic, it's Jesus alone. And so if the gospel is the gospel alone, Jesus, Jesus alone, then when pandemics come, governments that we don't like come, we are firm and rooted. 
We're not going to bail on our church. We're not going to bail on community. We're not going to bail on Jesus because things didn't go our way or we got sick or somebody we know died. We are rooted in Christ. Gospel men, gospel women, rooted in the historic gospel of Jesus. So we have the call of God, the gospel of God, and now the mission of God. So those who are called to salvation and service are going to be consumed with carrying out this mission. So look at verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Paul has received grace from God and the official role is to carry out the mission of God and we are to share in this same mission. Now, you may have a hard time understanding this. Maybe football is on your mind. Let me give you some kind of football thought, okay? Maybe you watched football all day yesterday. Well, I just want to let you know, just let you know, I'm just telling you, I used to be a football coach. I know a lot about football, and I was qualified to coach my son's flag football team, all right? I'm just telling you, we won the championship one year. But flag football coaches, what they get to do is be on the field during the game, and they get to call the plays. So what I do, I bring these kids in, half of them are not listening, and I call the play, and we're about the gospel of football, and they are supposed to go out and execute the play sometimes, all right? The connection is God calls us into himself. He says, all right, here's the play. Take the gospel. Take the gospel. Here's the play. And, and take the gospel to the whole world. And, and when you do that, God gives us this motivation to take the gospel He also tells us the extent that the gospel should be taken, and he gives us this focus, this purpose. So this is what I want you to see as we read these verses again, all right? So let's talk about purpose. It says in verse 5, through whom we have also received grace and apostleship to bring about, okay, here it is, the purpose, bring about the obedience of faith, all right? We'll, we'll We'll come back to that in a second. But first, let's look at the motivation and the extent of taking this gospel, all right? It says specifically that we are to do this for the motivation of his name's sake. Do you see it at the very end? For his name's sake. Our motivation for taking this gospel and sharing it with others is the praise and glory of Jesus. This is the highest motivation. Do you see it there? For the praise of his name's sake. Okay. All right. So what's the extent of this gospel? Well, notice again. It says to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. So the praise of the glory of Jesus, we take this gospel and it reaches to the ends of the earth and the mission is to go among all the Gentiles, regardless of ethnic background or whether people are Jews or Gentiles, this extent of this mission goes out. Now let's go back to the purpose, all right? Let's go back to the purpose. Look at verse 5. Again, I love meditating on this with you. It says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. You ever heard it phrased like that? 
that Paul and us are proclaiming this message because we want to bring about the obedience of faith. Huh. Obedience and faith seem to go together here. It's almost like different sides of the same coin. Now, it's very important to distinguish the two, but also important to have them together. So it's indicating that we want people to trust in Jesus and after they trust in Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, we want them to obey Jesus. The two go together. And yet there's a distinction. You're saved by faith alone and the finished work of Christ alone. And yet all those who are saved by faith alone, that faith is never alone. Because that faith will produce works, will show itself in obedience. Do you get this? This is a big thing we leave out of American Christianity. It's almost like you gather a lot of people together and you say, hey, you don't trust Jesus, you're all going to hell. Who wants to go to hell? I don't want to go to hell. Want Jesus? You raise your hand. Okay, we're all good. No, no. It's, it's faith and those who truly believe will obey, connect it together, and yet distinguish faith, salvation, obedience, just after this service, we're going to be over there in the Sunday school class. And we are going to hear from Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Micah May, and several of the other students and others to give a testimony of what God has done with FCA and specifically their camp. And this Sunday school class over here has raised so much money to send kids to camp. And, and many of the teenagers have put their faith in Jesus Christ. But we're not just supporting FCA so that we can get people, quote unquote, into the kingdom or raise their hand or walk an aisle. But FCA also has things that go on throughout the week that teach and train these kids of what it looks like to follow Jesus. They also encourage them to plug into their church to see what it looks like to follow Jesus. So you see how we're keeping these two together. We want people to come to faith in Christ and then grow in Christ. Isn't that the Great Commission? You see that? We are to go in all the world proclaiming Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and what else? Teaching them to obey everything that Jesus taught. The two go together. So I want you to think about your calling today. Why are you here in the village? Maybe you're here to golf. Maybe you're here to craft. Maybe you're here just to rest and retire. I'm not quite sure of what your reasons are, but whatever it is, you have to mix it with your calling from God. Because whatever you were made for, you need to think about, okay, I was saved for. You see, if you're out there on the golf and you're like, I was made for this, <laughs> And yet, the calling from God, I was saved for this. I'm gospel man, gospel women who proclaim Jesus. And that's what you and me, that's what we're to be about. For the sake and the praise of his name among all nations. Pull back for a moment here. Ask yourself the question. I mean, I never thought about this before. How in the world are there Christians in Rome? Paul's writing to a cluster of house churches in Rome. And I want you to think about this at the very end, okay? Think about this. How do they get there? 
Paul didn't plant that church. Paul hasn't even been to Rome. How did that happen? Well, it probably happened like this. So people in Rome traveled to Jerusalem because it's their job. They traveled to Jerusalem or maybe some Jews from Rome came to Jerusalem to celebrate feasts. And they're there and they hear this guy named Peter talking about Jesus. And they get saved. God calls them, changes their heart. But they don't live in Jerusalem. It's time to go back to Rome. And so they go back to Rome and they're like, okay, I'm going to start doing my job again. But now Jesus has saved me. He reigns over me. He's my Lord. I'm going to start telling other people this good news. And these small little house churches of Christians eventually upended the empire and spread and spread. My brothers and sisters, I don't know why you're here. I don't know your reasons, but I can know God's reasons. You are here for whatever reasons, good or bad motivations, but God has called you and has placed you at just the right spot, not to just sit back and relax, but to be gospel men and gospel women who open your mouth and tell about the good news of Jesus Christ so that this gospel can spread throughout the village and beyond. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way 